I'm Sarah Lippman. Welcome to Torati Mecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today we will be learning Divrei Hayamim, Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 12. Verse 1. These are the people who came to join David in Siklag, while David was yet hiding from Shaul the son of Kish. They were among the mighty men who assisted in the war. Ezra shines a light on those who were there and giving support to David all along, when times were harder and before he was universally recognized as king. Like the Levium in chapter 9, who serve God be'emunah, faithfully, day in and day out, so here Ezra praises those who were there for David HaMelech while he was still pursued by Shaul. They were loyal and he could count on them. If we return for a moment to the principle that Ezra's holding up a looking glass of the past as a guide to the Ketayamim, the end of days, then what we see framed in that mirror is a pattern in which being present, being a friend and supporter in tough times, is the merit in which one is allowed to also be present in the brighter times. And thus, the Gemara in Tainus teaches that kol those who care about Jerusalem and mourn when things are bad merit to be present and see Yerushalayim in its joy. As Rashi teaches at the end of the Song of Ha'azinu in Dvarim 32, at the end of days, the nations will sing praise of Israel. See the praise of this nation? They clung to Hashem through all the hardships that passed over them, and they did not abandon Him. They were certain of His goodness. It is love. It is friendship. It is loyalty through thick and thin that, while it may not seem remarkable right now, is our strength and our song when better times come for all people. Now, chapter 12 tells us about the various groups of people who came to support David and acknowledge him as king during the difficult time between his being anointed by Shmuel Hanavi and yet while King Shaul was still alive and ruling, which means that chronologically, chapter 12 actually fits in before chapter 10, which is the death of Shaul, and at the very beginning of the narrative chapters of Divrei Hayamim. A Barbanel, in explaining why the order of events in David's reign differs in Divrei Hayamim as compared with how they are told to us in the book of Shmuel, says that Ezra was not concerned about relaying the order of the events as much as arranging them according to their nature, meaning the type or theme, and their importance. And therefore Ezra, after retelling the story of crowning David, tells us that David immediately went to conquer Yerushalayim, which in fact is how it occurred. Within these events is included the heroic bravery of Yoav ben Seruya, who courageously led the battle for Jerusalem. Staying with this theme, Ezra groups here together all the heroic deeds of the various righteous scholar warriors who served David. First, the greatest of David's warriors, then singling out for credit, those giborim who stood by David early on, before it was safe, popular, or even legal. Ralbag sees the verse set the scene during a period when David was fleeing Jewish Israel to escape from King Shaul, and he took refuge in the land of the Plishtim, on the southwest coast of Israel. During this time, Achish, the king of that tribe of Plishtim, allowed David to take shelter in the city of Tziklag, a town outside of Gus. He was there for over a year, as is related in the book of Shmuel. Why was David in Tziklag? I will draw here from the description of events as summarized by Henry Bieberfeld in his 1963 Sefer, David, King of Israel. Shaul's relentless persecutions of David finally show their effect. 
David decides to leave the land of Israel and to seek respite abroad. He turns to Achish, king of Gus, in the land of the Plishtim. He comes at the head of 600 followers, offering their swords in exchange for security. David is granted independent control of the town of Tziklag, and while Achish has unlimited faith in David's loyalty, the other leaders of the Plishtim do not share his confidence. They cannot forget that this is the same David who slew Goliath, Goliath, their champion. Achish summons David and says, I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me and unto this day. You are good in my eyes as an angel of God, Kemalach Elohim. Not only is this utterly unexpected from the lips of a pagan chieftain, but the significant fact is that throughout the Bible, across Tanakh, no other human being is ever accorded this title, Malach Elohim, Angel of God. The wise woman of Tekoa, in the 14th chapter of Shmuel, volume 2, exclaims in amazement to David, As a Malach Elohim, an angel of God, is my Lord, to discern good and bad. And yet again, in the 19th chapter of Shmuel, volume 2, Mephibosheth says to David, But my Lord the King is Kemalach Elohim, as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. One such remarkable praise of David is surprising, but a second and a third description of David appearing to be like an angel of God, that is not a coincidence. These events are recorded in Tanakh because of their significance in the life history of David. David appeared as a malach, an angel, or more literally, an emissary, a messenger of God to the world of men. Thus, we see David mirrored in the testimony of his contemporaries. He does not appear to them like all other human beings. He's free of the compulsion to scheme and plot. He's free of uncertainty where true justice lies. He's free even of the most human frailty, revenge. And like an angel, David's aims, his directions, are determined by God. He enacts divine will and purpose. He has no evil intent. He has no selfish aims. Of all mortals, it is only in David that the quality of living a God-sent life is so complete and so clear and so manifest that even his contemporaries could perceive it, and they alluded to it in obvious awe. In verses 1 and 2, we find the very first people who are listed as joining up with David's troop during the Tziklag era. These are the archers and slingers Me'achei Sha'ul mi Binyamin, from the family of Sha'ul of the tribe of Binyamin. The commentaries are united in understanding the significance of this. It is indicative of David's greatness that even during Sha'ul's lifetime, his own tribesmen of Binyamin recognized David's right and fitness to rule. Ibn Yechia goes a step further. He says, We see here also the greatness of the members of the tribe of Binyamin because even though they could have been upset that David would rule in place of their own closer relative Shaul, what they cared about most was the will of God, and so they came over in support of David. In verse 3, we have listed Yeziel and Felet, sons of Asmaves, literally, strong as death. There is also an Asmaves listed with the Giborim, the mighty warriors, in chapter 11, and another one in chapter 8, and in chapter 9, those are duplicated genealogies of the tribe of Binyamin. This name, Azmaves, strong as death, evokes strongly the verse in Shir Hashirim, chapter 8, verse 6, Simeni chachosem alibecha, 
Place me as a seal upon your heart. Kachosam al echa, as a seal upon your arm. Ki chamaves ahava, because love is stronger than death. The Midrash Rabbah teaches, love is more powerful than death, because the need to hold fast to love outweighs even the risk of death. And it is for this reason that Jews can and do hold fast to the love of God rather than to betray Him, even at the risk of death. Ve'ohavto es Hashem elokecha, and you shall love Hashem your Lord. Ve'cholavavacha, with all your heart, uve'chol nafshecha, and with all your life, uve'chol me'odzecha, and with all your effort. And because of that, love can overcome death itself. Verse 15, Elam mibne God roshe hatzava. These of the people of God were the chiefs of the army. Echod lemea hakaton. The least of them were officers over large units of a hundred fighting men each, and the greatest ones were officers of troops of thousand soldiers each. In other words, these were higher-ranking officers, and nonetheless they left their posts to join up with David. In accordance with the Mefaresh, we can read, The least of them could conquer one hundred of the enemy, and the greatest of them one thousand. The Torah promises in Parshas Bechukosai that when the Jewish people merit it, 100 soldiers can put 10,000 enemies to flight. That's a ratio of 1 to 100. And thus this promise was fulfilled in the tribe of God. This also helps us understand the use of Hakatan, the smaller, and Hagadol, the greater one here. The reference is not to physical size. The Torah virtually never uses Gadol as a measure of size. Rather, Hakatan and Hagadol are measures of righteousness. In the merit of their goodness, they were mighty in battle. Verses 17 through 19 describe the arrival of members of the tribe of Binyamin to David's wilderness base, accompanied by members of the tribe of Yehuda. Specifically, they are accompanied by Amosai, also known as Amasa, David's nephew. The Mefarish explains it was because the Benjaminites were concerned that David might naturally think they had come to trap him and hand him over to their kinsman Shaul. So they came together with Amosai, hoping that David would see that they came in good faith. Verse 19, the Ruach lavsha es Amosai, and spirit or inspiration clothed Amosai. Some of the classical commentators see this as a reference to inspired insight talent, or strength, within the natural ways of God's providence. But the Talmud in Megillah 14b takes for granted that this verse means, quite literally, that Amosai had a supernatural experience. He was clothed in a divine spirit of prophecy. But if so, then why do we not learn the content of that prophecy here? The Gemara in Megillah also teaches, Prophecies that are required by future generations are written into Tanakh, into Scripture. Prophecies that are relevant only to a specific time are not written into Scripture. The Talmud goes on to list 55 prophets and prophetesses whose prophecies were transcribed for all generations. Amosai is not one of them, despite the Gemara itself stating that this verse indicates that he was a prophet. And so the nature of his prophecy remains a mystery. Apparently, it was relevant then, but is not for us, and we don't know. Verses 24 through 41 begin a new topic, David's coronation, 
which was mentioned briefly at the beginning of chapter 11. In this passage, we have a listing of the groups and troops representing each of the twelve tribes who came to Hebron to coronate David as the undisputed king of Israel. Verse 24, these are the numbers of armed troops who came to David in Hebron to transfer the kingdom of Shaul to him according to the word of God. The sons of Yehuda, 6,800, of the sons of Shimon, 7,100, of the sons of Levi, 4,600, plus Yehoyada, leader of Aharon, and with him 3,700, and Sadok with 22 princes, of the sons of Binyamin, 3,000, of the sons of Ephraim, 20,800, of the half-tribe of Menashe, 8,000, of the sons of Yisachar, 200 leaders, and all their brethren, of the sons of Zivulun, 50,000, of Naphtali, 1,000 officers, and another 37,000, of Dan, 28,600, of Asher, 40,000, from Reuven God and the half of Menashe on the other side of the Jordan River, 120,000. Verse 39, all of these warriors fit for battle came wholeheartedly to crown David as king over all Israel, and also the remainder of Israel. They were all of one heart to crown David. With respect to verse 33, about the tribe of Yisachar, we wonder, only 200? Mitzudah David explains, there were 200 leaders, v'chol achehem al pihem, said the verse, their brothers by their word. Once these 200 leaders accept David's rule, all their students were guaranteed to follow. The sages teach that these 200 leaders were Rashi Sanhedraos, chief justices of the halachic courts. It's not just in numbers that Yisachar differs from other tribes. The representatives of each tribe are described as armed for war, heads of divisions of thousands, mighty warriors, those who go out to battle, battle strategists. The representatives of the tribe of Yisachar are described as knowledgeable and understanding. Says Rav Moshe Eisenman, in David's army, it was taken for granted that the study of Torah and the administration of justice was just as important to victory in battle as a well-equipped and valiant army. The Talmud in Sanhedrin 49a illustrates by example, why was David able to administer justice and charity? Because Yoav was in control of the army. And why was Yoav's army strong and successful? Because David was administering justice and charity. Abarbanel says, the tribe of Yisachar were Ba'alei Torah, masters of Torah, professional Torah scholars with a permanent presence learning in the yeshivos. They were the teachers of Torah law, establishing 200 Sanhedraos, courts of law. Let's turn back a moment to verses 20 to 23, which describe the members of the tribe of Menashe joining up with David. When was this? The Gemara in Bava Basra 123b says, It was in the merit of the generals of the tribe of Menashe, who are descended from Yosef, that David was able to win his battle against the Amalekites. Which battle against the Amalekites is this referring to? The details of that battle are provided in chapter 30 of the first volume of Shmuel. And it was when David and his men came to Tziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had spread out across the south and to Tziklag. They had attacked Tziklag and set it on fire. They took captive all the women that were there from young to old, and they drove them away with them. And David and his men came to the city, and behold, it had been burnt by fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had all been taken captive. And David and the people with him lifted their voices, and they cried until they had no more strength within them to cry. And two of David's wives had been taken captive as well, 
Achinoam of Yisrael, and Avigail, the widow of Novel of Carmel. And David was suffering excessively, for the people wanted to kill him. They were so embittered about their sons and their daughters. David took strength for himself in God his Lord. And when David did catch up to the Amalekim, behold, they were spread out, eating and drinking, celebrating all the loot they had stolen from the land of the Plishtim and the land of Yehuda. And David smote them from dawn until the next evening, and did not allow any of them to escape, except for four hundred young men who fled riding on camels. And David successfully saved everyone who had been taken hostage by the Amalekites, including his two wives. And he did not leave behind a single soul, from the youngest to the oldest, the boys and the girls. David recovered all of them. I'm recording this 30 days after the massacre on Shemini Atzeres. The books of the prophets have never seemed so three-dimensional. Am I reading history, or am I reading a newspaper? Our cities have been torched. Our sons and daughters have been taken captive. Yesterday, the sons of Yosef, Menashe, came to the aid of the son of Yehuda, David. They came to fight by his side, and they came just at the right moment. Hakol, Heshiv David, all were brought back by David. I can't really go on now. I can only hold fast. I can try and be one of the trustworthy ones, the ones who are there even when times are difficult, and pray that tomorrow morning it will be in all the headlines. Not a single one was left behind, from the youngest to the oldest, even the children. Hakol, Heshiv, David. All of them, David, recovered. Amen. May it be God's will. Thank you for learning together with me. Le'ilui Nishmas Rose Foreman, Rezo Rachel Bas Arieleib, and Rachel Zeitlin.